biggest thing an artist can cultivate in this world right now is trust. If you build trust with your core audience and the people who love you and know you, people you create with, the people you, you jam with, that trust builds really tactile relationships. And it's from those kinds of relationships with fans, friends, collaborators, that's where all the other stuff in the industry comes from. At the end of the day, nothing else was ever real except for your relationships, that trust that you build with people. And it's just as simple as just listening to your gut and, and being really you and being honest about how you present yourself and, and then just being fearless to see where, where life takes you. This week's guest is Jacob Collier, the multi-talented, multi-decorated, multi-coloured British musical Wunderkind, who's had international audiences and the broader music industry enthralled to his precocious talents since he released his first solo album, Self-Produced, and on which Collier played all of his instruments back in 2016. That record, In My Room, laid down a significant marker of talent and ambition. Collier has continued to turn out records that originate from that now famous titular music room in North London, but spice them up with collaborations with a rich array of talent from all walks of musical life. Chris Martin, Stormzy, Camilo, Brandy Carlisle, Sean Mendes, and his mother, Susie Collier, to name but a handful. All genres are playfully danced between, but listeners will notice a deep-seated musicality that stretches well beyond gadfly showiness to reveal Collier's lifelong love and understanding of music. That's where his mother Susie, conductor, violinist and music teacher, came in from an early age. Collier's latest multi-album concept is named JC for Collier's initials, and we spoke to him as he released Jesse Volume 4 that stretches from 90s rock to K-pop to choral music. It's the sort of thing that wins you six Grammys, which might have come closer to the top of a biography of a 29-year-old, but as you've heard, there wasn't a lot of space in which to fit it. I'm Robert Bounds, and I spoke to Jacob Collier on The Big Interview. Welcome to the big interview. It's wonderful to have you on the programme today. Now, this is wasted on the, the broadcasting public, the fact that you are beautifully, as ever, technical addressed. <laughs> well, thanks ever so in much. In honour of the big interview, of course. Yes, yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're here to celebrate your career, and we're here to celebrate Jesse Volume 4, which is out now, which is, again, a vibrant, technicolor, amazing piece of work. What's been the through line for these, these four volumes of sort of Ooh. almost self-titled Yes, albums. almost, almost. Well, so I, I first started dreaming up the idea of Jesse, this quadruple album, mm. end of 2017. And I just finished touring an album, my first ever album which I created, which is called In My Room, which mm-hmm. is an album I made entirely in solitude. So I produced it, played all the instruments and mixed it, all this, all this stuff. And I knew I wanted to collaborate, but I, I wanted to collaborate in the biggest way I could imagine. And I really wanted to learn. I wanted to learn about the world. I wanted to learn about people, about music and storytelling. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be, be challenged in a sense. Yeah. So I thought, well, what if I made a massive album that was four albums in size that featured all of my favorite musicians in the world from every walk of life, every generation that I've 
ever encountered and, and learned something from. And so I did it. I remember yeah. writing this massive old list of people, this dream list of people I wanted to have on the record. And the, the, it's kind of like a Christmas list, but actually you're the kind of person that can realise it. Yes, I well, like well, I wasn't sure at the time, um, but it is amazing how many people who were on that original list have made it onto the record in some way. It's, it's, a, it's quite a profound feeling. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And your your list of collaborators for this new LP, Stormzy, Chris Martin, John Legend, Brandy Carlisle, the list goes on. It's amazing stuff. How do those collaborations, how do they come to pass? Is this a WhatsApp? Is this, a WhatsApp. Is this, is this complicated well, negotiations? Because obviously you've kind of cut such a stream through the musical world that I'm sure obviously people are ringing you up and wanting to collaborate all the time. But how does it work in practice, yeah. I guess? Because everyone's busy, none more than you you yourself. Right, sure. well, everyone's definitely busy. It's, it's a mixture, honestly, but the one thing I would say is always true is that I respect these people so much and they're often my friends. Hmm. They weren't my friends to start with and they have become my friends over the course of the record. So, you know, yeah, I, I think I seek... I seek to learn and I seek to jam with people who light me up. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't believe it's possible for me to rock up in a room with somebody random and and definitely make something of value. You know, I, I think for me with this album, I was very, um, yeah, just very excited to really jump into the sort of deepest possible waters of yeah. who I could throw paint with and, and just to sort of, yeah, see what, see what happened. But the, the thrill with this particular album is just how broad the collaborators are. Yeah. And I've, yeah, the amount I've learned is wild. You know, for example, Anushka Shankar, the incredible sitarist, is on the record. Her, oh, yeah. thank you very much. And, you know, Camillo from South America, mm-hmm. superstars Esper from Korea. You know, they're so different from each other. Yeah. And they speak different languages, literally and musically. But for me, the total privilege and joy of it is to unpack those languages and build those bridges. And does that, as you sort of said, that you could be speaking Spanish, you could be speaking Korean, any number of languages with some of your collaborators. Is the cliche true, Jacob, that you sit down <laughs> and actually music is an international language. Once you're at the piano or the guitar or whatever it might be, that actually all these barriers break down. It, 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 honestly, I mean, it totally is. Yeah, it okay. totally is. And I can think of musicians on previous volumes of Jesse, like Hamid El Kasri, the great Gnawa mm. legend from Morocco, and Umu Sangari from Mali. Neither of those two speak a word of English. Both are on the album. Yeah. The only way I could communicate was to say, hey, how about... And they'd say... And then we'd, we'd, we'd interact like that. And so it's, it, it's, it's been an amazing process of figuring out communication means as, mm. as, as much as anything else, for sure. And in terms of the building blocks of this record, it is... You're probably... I don't know whether you, as a musician and as a prodigious musician of different genres, are interested in genres. Are genres just for journalists like myself to try yeah. and put you, you guys in boxes? What do you think about that? Do you communicate? Do you kind of go, we're going to do a bit of country here, we're going to do a bit of, like, you know, K-pop here? Because this record, Jesse Volume 4, steers through so many musical waters. Yes, it yeah. does indeed. I didn't even encounter the word genre until I was about... 16, I think. You know, I, 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 I grew up listening to the broadest of, yes. of cohorts of, yeah. of musical icons, um, from Bartok and Stravinsky to, mm. you know, Bobby McFerrin and Buena Vista Social Club and Stevie Wonder and Sting and Earth, Wind & Fire. So it was just kind of like everything is welcome. And then I remember at one point someone said, hey man, what, what genre do you like? And I thought, oh gosh, I, I have to pick one. You know? <laughs> and then it was, what genre do you make? And so I, I do think that the word genre is most helpful to journalists and people yeah. who like to categorize music. I, don't think it, it often helps creators very much. And I think, yeah, this album is <laughs> most definitely a combination of, of many different flavours. That, that, yeah, it's a jack-in-the-box sure. of different stuff it in a very, yeah. very, very good way. And you can feel like the creativity bursting out of the seams oh, of the, yeah. well, 
in this case, MP3 that I was sent a few months yes, ago. But nonetheless, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. If it was a record, the needle would be skipping off it, I think, with right. joy. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned all the music you listened to and, and probably played growing up. Yes. Tell us a bit about that. I'd love to go back to North London where you grew up and your mother and your father, both very talented and brilliant musicians. Your mum's on this new record, isn't she? Yes, she is. How yeah, on yeah. earth did you sort that out? Yeah, I tell you that. <laughs> no, I was a tricky one, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, tell us about some of those, some of those early For sure. I mean, I think my, my earliest memory ever of all time is sitting on my mother's lap, looking up and seeing the violin above me being played, which oh, is wow. an amazing feeling. Yeah. You know, you're inside the sound, you're inside the intention of the sound. Mm. And it was around that time, I was probably two years old or so, that I used to go and watch my mother conduct as well. And so, you know, the feeling of watching someone jump off the ground and raise their arms and then the music begins, you know, it's it's a feeling that never really leaves you. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about that process, it's not just, you know, accuracy and dictation. It's, it's you know, you're, you're throwing around permission. You're throwing around joy. You're throwing around mm. questions and answers, all sorts of things and, and listening as well. So, you know, it, it really, it was it's like casting a spell. I think for me as a child, that's what music was. It was like mm-hmm. this spell that was cast and you could always open up the the, the box and, and find something of yourself in whatever it was that you were listening to, which is amazing. And, you know, yeah, I was brought up by a single mother. I'm one of three kids. Mm-hmm. And so the process of learning music was as learning language, I suppose. You yeah. know, it, was, it was like the second language of sorts where things were discussed. Why does this feel good to you? Or will this chord feel good to you? Or why does this sound? What, like, but when you're a child, I think, you know, you make as many ideas as there are ears to hear them in a sense and mm-hmm. there were always ears to hear my ideas you know a fascination would act itself out and and fashion itself into a solution and a framework and all of that so i'm, I'm deeply grateful for all those years you it's know. a very intuitive thing i guess and it, it was must be a lovely bond to have with your mum oh totally right? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean the amount of common ground is you know, yeah. absolutely extraordinary and, yeah. and so now when we when we play together it's like there's so much that doesn't need to be said because it was always there On this album, she conducts all the orchestra on, on the album, my mum. So you worked with the Metropole Orchestra? I did, yes. Yeah, so and I wrote... that's, a, that's a, a, quite an undertaking. Because I was going to ask yeah. about who, the arrangement for that and the orchestration mm. of that. That's... So I, I did all of that myself. I yeah. Yeah, wrote all the, the manuscript paper out and, and sort of dictated what each instrument was going to do at what time and then handed the parts out to the orchestra and my mum who, mm-hmm. who brought it to life in that age-old way. And it was an Brilliant. amazing experience to yeah. not just to watch her do that, but just to, to actually co-create and carve it together. Yeah, you know, and she'd say, "Are you sure you want to just leave this amount of space before this phrase?" I think maybe maybe a little bit more, or is this the right color of the strings? Mm. You know, should there be more more hair on the bow? Should there be more distance between? You know, all these all these kinds of questions. She knows how to get color out of a group, which is yeah, very very yeah, very moving. And when you're working with your collaborators, including your mum, you t- do you talk in those terms? Do you talk in? the colours of paint almost and of, mm-hmm. of colour and of of things that aren't and of sensation rather than musical terms. Are you talking about arpeggios or are you talking about we need a bit more weft, we need a bit more warmth? Yeah, yeah, more or salt. How, how yeah. technical is salt your instruction pepper. to Susie Collier or Stormzy? Like but, where are you, yeah, you know, yeah, what's, yeah. what's the language like no, that but, you but Both about? legends, both legends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly think it, it depends on the collaborator. You know, yeah. my, my intuitive language is always based more in weird words and adjectives and things that make me feel stuff. 
But if you say to an orchestra, you know, I'd like you to add wool. Yes. Then they sort of blanch and go, this guy, this guy, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you you learn that wool with an orchestra means take that down one dynamic Mm -hmm. and play with a mute. Mm -hmm. And and you you learn these these recipes of of sound that you get to talk about and speak. With Stormzy, you can speak very emotionally to Stormzy. You can say, I I want you to dig into this part of yourself or I want you to, you know, call upon this part of your faith or call upon this part of your family. And Mm -hmm. he's able to tune in and do that. But you know, most most creative people, all the artists I've ever worked with, which is approaching a hundred now, there's something of the unspoken or the unspeakable in the craft. So, you yeah. know, your job is to is to tap into that and get them to find it for themselves. Because if they can find it for themselves, then everyone's going to feel it better than if I dictate it from my yeah. perspective. You know. Yeah, I guess there's also that thing with any art form. You can explain it away. You can explain the magic away. The minute you've crystallized it in words, you kind of it, lose it's, something. It's gone. Well, right? yeah, some, something's gone. Yeah. 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 No, it's lovely stuff. And what about? I wonder when you're. We have this new record out, Jesse Volume Four. It's joining an august legion of the rest of your work. <laughs> what about taking that on the road? Does it become more real? Is it the real thing when? maybe it's a vinyl pressing or when you start to talk about it with people like yeah. us or when does it become real to you is it is it when you take it on the road or when it becomes an artifact i wonder i think it's honestly i think it's it's most real mm. when i'm just having the idea to start it you okay know? jesse what could it be whoa whoa yeah. you know at that moment it's unlimited infinite you know mm. and then every part of the process it deepens its form uh, not necessarily makes it more real but I, it definitely makes it more tactile and mm-hmm. and, and firm so, you know, the, the moment when you when you finish a demo for a song and then the moment when you finish a song and then you finish the mix for a song and then the song gets mastered. Yeah. And then you speak about the song, you arrange the song for the band, which yeah. I did a couple of weeks ago for the for this year's world tour. And then when you play the songs live, which I can't wait to do for this record, I really can't wait. Mm. Yeah, they're all different challenges and all different joys. And I, I love every part of the process. And and it's it's a privilege, you know, and I think I think the greatest songs survive every one of those stages you know because it's and, tough one right something can be a beautiful kind of gem of a thing and then actually once it's been you can add layers dry. to something and you kind of actually i kind of preferred yeah. it when it was just me to, to you know yeah, practicing yeah. Uh, practicing chords on a piano or, well, a or, or the opposite which is you know you can remove layers and figure out oh actually without all these mm. layers what even is this song yeah. anymore you know so i think it's it's been an interesting process of writing songs that survive in, in many different incarnations you know i play shows with orchestras mm-hmm. i play shows solo this you'll be playing with my band mostly. And it's just a, every time you find a new kind of vibration within the song and you bring it to life in a new way, which is awesome and challenging. Yeah. And how do you know when something's finished? I mean, this is something. This is a question you can ask of a novelist or, or, a, mm. or a painter. But I'm always, with music, yeah. it, is, it is so tempting to, so hard, to tweak and to add a little tinkle here and there and la, la, la. Yeah, well, especially as the sole producer of the album, you know, it's, it's, someone has to really yeah, slap my hands to get, okay. me out of the, get me out of the studio. <laughs> yeah, at some point you have to just set yourself a deadline. That's how right. you finish a project. Yeah. And I set myself a deadline, I think it was 2021 at first, and then it became 2022 and then 2023. But, you know, you, you keep, you keep you know, kicking it down the road. And I have learned that, Whilst deadlines are to be respected, it can also be helpful to override them because there's a kind of magic that happens against a deadline where all these new sparks come out and you yeah. recognize all this new potential. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's always an interesting one when to take a deadline seriously, especially when I'm the only one who can impose it. Any sort <laughs> Write of self... yourself a stiff email. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. you dare do another, yeah. do another node on the automation. <laughs> yeah. In that kind of, in a similar realm, yeah. I was wondering... My wife and I have been dancing around the kitchen to Never, Never Going to Be Alone since, mm. it, since it came out, I oh, guess, thank you. a few months back. It's such a beautiful song. And that is such a... It's very brave to write a song which seems so, so simple. It's such mm. a beautiful melody. 
the production that's beautiful, the bass on it's lovely. Oh, thanks. But what it takes guts? Does it take more guts to to put something out into the world which is so beautifully simple as that? Something mm. like that. I mean, you can, and you can correct me where I'm wrong because yeah. it might well be the devil's own job to make that sound that easy. Right, right, but right. Well, I, what I, about that song? Yeah, well, I think simplicity and complexity are interesting axes because there are so many incarnations of them. Mm. You know, so for example, something could be simple in its lack of depth, or it can be simple in its lack of layers or simple in its lack of length or simple in its lack of a range of materials mm-hmm. or simple in its lack of dynamic range in terms of volume. There's always there's different ways of constructing that. With Never Going to Be Alone, the lyrics are quite deep, but they're also very simple. Mm. The melody is quite simple, but the sound world is quite complex with yeah. that song. So there's this sort of like interesting reverse bells and these really sort of rich strings, really emotional strings that are layered with voices and all sorts of things. It's about recipes, I guess, personally. Right. It's like the song itself is, yeah, it's quite a simple song. I, I'm very fond of that song. Mm. And, and bringing it to life comes out of you know, b- being a, a world builder in that sense and, and just carving the right kind of combination of elements. You know, a, l- a little bit of wind chimes mixed with a little bit of crotales and then just an added layer of strings with this particular kind of EQ that gets them to be wide and like they can really give you a big hug. And then the bass is very much like a sine wave. There's a little bit of texture in the bass sound. And yeah. all, all these things I, I love making those decisions and I love listening to the lyrics of the song and thinking, well, what is this talking about? So that song was inspired by a, a good friend of mine was hosting a little performance event in, in one of his studios and somebody came along, a, a woman came along and she was asked to sing this song by my good friend, which was about her child who had passed away. I think it was a one, one or two year old child mm. who passed away. And hearing her, her sing this song was just heartbreaking, really deeply heartbreaking. And I was so struck by the feeling of losing somebody so young and so immense in your life, so important in your mm-hmm. life. You know, despite having never experienced that firsthand, I was just, it, I was just deeply touched. And so when I was experimenting with some of these strings and some of these chords and the, the, the way it hugged you and, and the lyrics that lent themselves to being about time and mm. companionship and time passing, she really came into my mind and that song ended up being a little bit about her. Mm. And so... Then when you pick up your paintbrush, you think, how do I best describe this feeling of closeness and distance, of you know, presence and absence, and 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 kind of a something that you can just exist in without needing to pay too much attention? That's the other thing about that song. It's one of the only songs on the album I think you can truly listen to that it doesn't move you to a new place in in a, in a deep way. It's, it is a place, and you yeah. can visit the place, and it's a world you can step into if you need to. It asked for particular material, so my job is the songwriter and producer and illustrator of that little of that of that page is to is to listen to mm. to the story and, and adhere to that there's something of the boy beneath his mother's violin in that oh for sure right for sure yeah yeah I, there's a real vibration I there's think, a real yeah sort of a hug a womb there's something there that's uh, yeah i I, I feel like it's a cradle that song yeah for, for sure yeah i think a lot of my Favorite songs that I make are, in their own way, they're, they're cradles. Even if they're totally irreverent and scrappy <laughs> and weird and, and change your mind in two flashes, there's something of being held in the process of making a song because it does, it itself holds the life that you were living at that time and mm-hmm. it will always hold that. It's like opening an old photograph book or something. You think, gosh, there I am. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, there's there are many self portraits in this. I mean, obviously, this mm. Jesse is. Um, I understand correctly is riffing off your initials, right? It, it, yeah, when I was a kid, my, my friends used to call me JC. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. something of a self titled yeah. quadrilogy. Yeah. So they're, they're all self portraits in a way. I suppose mm, I, somewhere yeah. along the line. Even yeah. though when when you decide, saw this, I'm going to do some '90s kind of FM rock. Yeah, let, whack let, that in. Let's go. In. Well, I bet <laughs> the thing is when I when I as I was growing up, you know that the intensity of that kind of rock sound was massive for me. Yeah, you know, totally. I, well, I remember it's a bit earlier than the '90s, but I remember hearing Queen for the first time. Mm. And just being like, wait a minute, you can you can do you can do that? that that's <laughs> yeah. cool. And it wasn't just the guitars, it was the vocal stacks, it was yeah. the intensity, the the charisma, the total bold brazenness of it all. It's just, it's just amazing. It has, has an impact on, on any, anyone who has ever loved it. I think. Well, that brings us neatly on to your sort of, what do we call them? Choral orchestras, where you have the whole crowd. Audience choirs. Right? Audience choirs, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's the term. And you started this off, am I right in thinking, I know you did this with someone to love, the amazing Queen anthem. You did this at Glastonbury. I did. You, you I did, did this at Glastonbury, yeah. and now it's become a thing, and this is on the new LP as well. It, so it is. So over the last two years, I've played about 150 shows all over the world. My absolute pride and joy is to play shows i just love it so much mm. yeah one of my favorite parts of the performance which has evolved as a language a visual language in its own right is this idea of conducting the audience as a choir my audiences are no biggie no, no, no biggie my audiences always tend to be quite enthusiastic about participating full yeah. stop because they're just lovely and i love them to pieces but yeah the, the sort of technique that i developed was to essentially divide the room into three to six parts which is just essentially to give a starting point so i might draw two invisible lines down one third and two thirds the way through the venue and I might say to the middle cohort I might say okay you sing ooh and then the left ooh and the right ooh which is F major chord that's your starting point and then I'll look at one group of audience members and I'll, I'll point up or point down and my job is to give them a pathway to a note that they can all figure out intuitively so I never say a word about what's going on so we create this towering human sort of pyramid of harmony and it's, it's yeah. the most extraordinary feeling it's completely changed my perspective on the world The sound of it became so important to me that I wanted the album to be about it in some way. The album, in many ways, is a celebration of the human voice. I, I think that's a lot of my work is about that. I think, but yeah, but yeah, we recorded every audience over two years, over a hundred thousand people. Who are the best singers? Oh gosh, <laughs> are we well, in Rio? Are we in New York? Are I mean, we South in America is ridiculous. Yeah. India is ridiculous as yeah. well. San Francisco is always really good. Chicago is always really good. London's right. always amazing. Paris is insane. Oh, there, there are so many that stand out. And I guess in the Bataclan or something in Paris, something with a roof on, something that's a bit of a, a sweat, sweaty... R roofs help. Yeah, right? <laughs> you're, you're doing it at Glastonbury. Glastonbury was hard. Tough, right? I didn't, know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Without I knew, a roof. I knew <laughs> I wanted to try, you know, 30,000 people in the baking hot sun, no mm. roof. And also not, you know, not, not primarily musicians at all, just people. Yeah. And so 
you know, I just went, oh, let's go. And it, it worked. <laughs> and it was just, it was a bit of a miracle. But yeah, it's always easiest in indoor venues with nice acoustic because everyone feels more confident when you're hugged mm. with a, with that reverb. But well, Freddie you know, Mercury would have approved with his A or I hope that so. live aid, right? I remember, I, mean, seeing it, that, yeah. I remember seeing that when I was a kid and thinking, oh, it was another one of those things, so you can do that, can you? Yeah. And so all those audiences ended up on the album. In fact, they're all on the first song of the album, which is called 100,000 Voices. They, yes. all, they all sing that massive D major chord. It's a real massive human mm. sound. Yeah, it. it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. And it must be a humbling thing to be in front of that, it's, to be orchestrating that. Yeah, I feel yeah. I feel at my at my biggest and at my smallest in that situation, in the yeah. best of ways in both. Yeah, yeah, parts. yeah, yeah. So with songs like that, and then you know, to back, going back to things like "Never Gonna Be Alone," mm. something a lot more, I don't know, maybe internal as an idea. Mm. What responsibility do you have to a song like that? where it's come from quite an emotional place or it's come from a story that... You, when you put that on stage, when that becomes something larger than you and a piano or you in a studio, what sort of responsibility do you have to those songs? I don't mean mm. the meanings behind them necessarily, but to yeah. keep the truth of them. Do they change colour in, in your mind every time you play them live to keep your keep your interest in them going? Well, if I do it right, then yes, they do. That, mm. I think the, the responsibility I owe those songs is to leave myself room to surprise myself because... That I think is moving for audiences to see an artist figuring it, you know, sort of figuring it out on the spot. Thinking, yeah. I wonder where this is going to take me. Yeah. I think if songs become too rigid, where it's you know one state and the song can only be one way, then you can play the song. It's like this is the song exactly as you know it. Yeah. That's never really been my way because I, I always get inspired by thinking, well, I want to make sure there's this is a new rendition of the song, but also every night there's space for something to step in and take me by surprise. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you need that, right? You I, need I that do. for your own interest. You obviously, yeah. yeah, you've got obviously a very hungry mind, of creative oh, yeah, mind, yeah, but ravenous, I imagine it needs to, be, needs to be fed. Yes, no, ab absolutely, yeah, for sure. So we've talked about, you know, you've had this wonderful, well, this exceptionally musical upbringing and all the rest of mm. it. You're still such a young man. What would you, what advice would you dish out to someone who's bright as a button and has a piano to hand or some sort of instrument? Yeah. They're in their bedroom somewhere similar to in the world to you or some or the other side of the world, what advice would you give to someone who's a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old who looks at you and sees, and, you know, mm. you've made a hero of people? Wow. Well, the thing is, no one really knows what's going on in the world. It's, it's a strange <laughs> place. So anyone who tells you they know what's going on is has either stopped learning or they're not telling you the truth. Mm. The world is for everybody and there's infinite ways to interact with it and to create with it and create in it. Not to use another, another cliche, but... You know, when it comes to music, unlike other things like, you know, mathematics, for example, they're, they're just, they're, there is no such thing as a right note and a wrong note or a right choice and a wrong choice. Mm -hmm. It's just the choice that feels right to you in any given moment. And so the job of any artist or student or teacher is to listen to the world and then express it on their own terms. So yeah. I would definitely say, you know, your greatest ally is your curiosity and you should follow that, whether it's a musical curiosity or, or otherwise, that will always lead you in in the direction of expansion, which is what yeah. the human race needs, I think. Staying curious. And, and you know, I also think being just being unafraid to take risks and take time because there is no rush. It, it appears there is a rush. It appears that everyone needs things urgently and that if you don't do it now, then this is your last chance. But, 
you know, life is actually longer than you think, especially if you're 12 years old. So <laughs> yeah, I would say, yes, just, so. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just just enjoy every part of the learning process and and do whatever you want to do. Mm. You know, there, there really are no rules and regulations. Anyone who really knows about music and who knows music and the language of it in any way, whether they play or they write or they arrange or they perform, if they're really real about it, they know that every rule should be bent a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, jump into the science of it and the framework of it and the understanding of it and then you make it your own in, in whatever way feel, feels right to you. And the music industry often feels like it's in a hurry, right? There's yeah. always the next thing and la la la. One of the how, big myths. How, what, yeah, well, I wonder what that's like. What's this, you know, live is where the money's at, live is, it seems to be. What's it like being in that, being right in the middle of that equation, you know? What's the, what would be, what's mm. the state of the industry, I suppose? Oh, it's, 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 a, it's chaos. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, I, but I do think, I mean, I've never really taken it too seriously which i think maybe is one of the reasons why i've i've got by okay you know i, mm. I never let anybody tell me what to do mm. i make all my creative decisions i make all my own records on my own watch on my own time in my own yeah. way with whoever i want to i don't think any artist should have it any other way honestly and yeah i feel like it has to change quick and it is changing quick and the way in which people receive ideas and share ideas is changing like day by day it's changing yeah. so you know i think that the best thing for an artist to be in the equation is just wide open to you know to new ways of looking, new ways of creating. And I think, yeah, any of these big record company executives, and a lot of them mean well, but they're all wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's all about how it feels to be an artist and it's about what kind of work feels right to you. That's where everything starts and ends. And the biggest thing an artist can cultivate in this world right now is trust. If you build trust with your core audience and the people who love you and know you, the people you create with, the people you, you jam with, that trust builds really tactile relationships. And it's from those kinds of relationships with fans, friends, collaborators. That's where all the other stuff in the industry comes from. That's mm. where longevity comes from. It's where money comes from, ultimately. It's, it's where opportunity comes from. So look after those relationships and nothing else is real. At the end of the day, nothing else was ever real except for your relationships, that trust that you build with people. And it's just as simple as just listening to your gut and, and being really you and being honest about how you present yourself and... And then just being fearless to see where, where life takes you. I think you could put that on a mantra and put it above every <laughs> every record store and every uh, every oh, good. every media company. Oh, I think that's 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 all right. We'll we'll print the t shirts. Yeah, there you go, perfect. On. Love it. Um, Super. There's so many millions of ways we could take this, but we've come to the end of our time. We have sadly. indeed. Yeah. Well thanks thanks for thanks for your lovely questions. Well, Jacob Collier, thank you very much Cheers. for joining us on the big interview. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that is it for this edition of The Big Interview. Many thanks to the Jazz FM studio and in particular Chris Gilveer for providing us with state-of-the-art recording facilities and of course our guest Jacob Collier for his time. Jacob's new album, Jesse Volume 4, will be released on the 29th of February. This episode of The Big Interview is produced by Emma Searle and edited by Jack Dewars with editing assistance from Steph Chungu. From me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye.